We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. On this episode, I speak with Nadine Chino, who drew on her experience in design to develop a sustainable, cost-effective moving box and system called Tigerbox. She's now turning her attention to solving the next set of problems because of COVID, one that she hopes will save lives. Nadine came up with the idea for a more sustainable moving box when she was attempting to move her design consultancy business. She and her husband, Marty, co-founded the company together and have now expanded what they offer via Tiger Tracks, a system to track all sorts of things, including their boxes. The idea for Tiger Box came about when moving companies pointed out that they needed something different than the traditional throwaway cardboard box. They got to work building and designing reusable boxes and invented a new kind of dolly to help movers move things quicker. Nadine continues to look for problems to solve, seeing them as opportunities to get to work. On the podcast, she shares her challenges of developing viable businesses that are both cost-effective and environmentally sustainable, as well as her latest idea for pivoting to a business that addresses the needs in the time of COVID-19. Now, let's get better Together, Nadine Chino, welcome to the podcast. Well, hello. It's a real pleasure to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me, Jerry. Oh, um, yeah. I think I'm an, um, how can I say it, an unemployable individual, having been an entrepreneur for more than half my lifetime now, and um, having started out as a design consultant and here I am end up as an inventor of sustainable products. Yeah. So and nothing linear about the journey. Of course. <laughs> I I've found that there is nothing linear about the journey and what what is really interesting and I'm I'm so glad again that you could join me today is everyone's journey is different. Uh, everyone has something to say. Everyone has some lessons or insights or wisdom. Whoever it doesn't matter who you are. Like your life takes you in these weird directions. Um, I do want to talk about the company you're at now and some of the challenges and struggles that you're having. Uh, is it is it Tiger Box? Is the way how you say it? Yes. Tiger you box. are so on it. Wow. Yes, even without the little picture of the tiger, you got the phonetic. <laughs> 
Nice. I know. I try. I am like verbally challenged when it comes to complex names and stuff. Like, you know, I could barely speak the English language sometimes. But before we before we get into that, because that's actually a really cool um, idea and what you're trying to do, I would love to hear about your journey as an entrepreneur and kind of how you got to what you're doing today. So I know it's probably a lot to do, but, you know, give us the nickel tour. What, what do you think we should know about you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So let's see. So uh, I started out uh, as an apparel designer when I was about nine years old, uh, sewing clothes for my friends and selling them uh, through the Girl Scouts. And so I had followed that passion when I was 16. I came into the city, took some classes at private schools and was absolutely smitten by a, um, a refugee from Hungary who uh, was able to, uh, you know, escape uh, Hitler's uh, march. And she taught me the fundamentals of fashion design, which interestingly enough, are nothing but mathematics. And uh, so math is music, math is fashion, math is pretty much at the heart of everything. And so I have, I developed a very, very successful career ultimately as an independent design consultant, specializing in fitness apparel and uh, kind of a Rasta, small list of the clients I worked with were Reebok, Puma, Lady Foot Locker, um, Adidas, Le Coq Sportif, and I traveled all over the world. So here I am, you know, 30 some odd years old, traveling all around the world, building a career. By the time I hit 50, uh, let me see, see, how old was I? No, we did Taigo when I was in the 40s, when I was 40 something. But anyway, traveling all over the world, no one had a more phenomenal life experience than myself. And then one day, we needed to move the design studio from point A to point B. So now you wanted to know, how did I get to Tiger Box? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yes. yes yeah, indeed. right? Well, okay, so here it is. You know how when you um, make an error in judgment, well... There you go. <laughs> so I got everything I deserved when I hired the low price mover. Oh. Big error in judgment. Except, you know, we'll see. So I get all furious about the thousands of dollars I was built in overcharges because uh, they exceeded the quote they gave us by thousands, saying we had more stuff that needed to be packed and moved than we had than they had estimated. And that very next day, 1991, because there was no municipal recycling in place anywhere in the country, but certainly not in Manhattan, I had no alternative but literally to take thousands of dollars of extra costs and burn them in the incinerary. Now, okay, you got to picture that, right? And I'm a Girl Scout, yeah. and I'm seeing all these beautiful trees from the Pacific Northwest just going up in flames after having been used for less than 24 hours. So I'm half Cuban, half Italian. That means I'm all Latina and I have, I am proficient at going into a rant. <laughs> and I'm there at the incinerator ranting at the colossal environmental waste of incinerating all those cardboard boxes. Wow. And that moment, because, you know, once we Latinas get on a rant, it's really hard to stop, right? I'm, I'm still going hours later. Over dinner, I'm with my lovely husband, who's a much more calm, centered, and practical man. And he says, you know, if you'd stop ranting and listen to yourself, you really have a good idea. So, okay, so... There's the business plan. <laughs> <laughs> that was in that was in 1991. Yes. Wow. Before green was the new black. Oh yeah, no that that's like the beginnings right. of all that. Even yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was still jeered at as you know a bark e a tree hugger, a bark eater, you know granola cruncher, you know you name it. All I was missing was you know 
I should have just pulled out a few front teeth or something and kind of like, you know, <laughs> filled in the picture, you know? So anyway, um, we lost our entire life savings developing on a product we knew nothing about. So entrepreneurial lesson number one, do more research than I did. <laughs> <laughs> because in order to actually fill the need of the market with the right particular box, we started our journey just buying some plastic tubs from a manufacturer, right? Mm -hmm. And we went into the household goods market. Again, we didn't know a thing about what we were doing. And what we found was that people loved the concept, but the order sizes were too small and we were unable to make the cost of delivery and pickup. And um, we knew that we needed to have a larger order size in order to make the business viable. So we said, well, listen, you know, if consumers like it, I'm sure corporations would like it too. Who doesn't like to save money? Because at the end of the day, the, the efficiencies of using a crate instead of a cardboard box were glowingly obvious. Uh, they stack higher, they stack faster, all this kind of stuff. So when we went to the office community, uh, and that time we were living downtown on Liberty Street, near the Twin Towers, the original ones before they were blown up. Um, and so we had huge corporations surrounding us, Chase, Woolworth, New York, New Jersey, Port Authority. We went to visit every single one of them, absolute cold call. Picture the day before 9-11 when you could actually just walk into the lobby of a building and wa walk onto a floor of a corporation you wanted to solicit and just cold call. Yeah. That's what we did. Wow. And we got in because we had a new idea. And we got a lot of people trying us. And they said, you know, we actually love your concept, but we don't like the box you're bringing us. And we understood why. We were bringing them something that was good for household goods moving, small book boxes or large linen boxes. But contents, office contents, files don't um, fit into that category because especially with a file cabinet, you have certain files organized a certain way within a certain file drawer. So the idea at an office level is whatever you can keep organized at from origin through destination, your unpack is that much more efficient and faster, right? Reducing employee downtime. So when we heard that they liked the concept and not the product, we said, well, this is time for us to step up to the plate, right? Just opportunity is nothing but a problem or a problem is nothing but an opportunity dressed up in work clothes. So we put on our work clothes and we became accidental inventors and we invented a completely different way of moving by creating a bottomless dolly that instead of having a horizontal plane to support the weight of contents put on it, we created a vertical suspension system. And by doing so, we were able to create the world's first low theft appeal dolly. You may ask, well, so why do we need a low theft appeal dolly? Well, because when you're in an office environment, there are many, many different kinds of construction trades in the, in, in the building at the same time. The plumbers could use an extra dolly to move whatever. The electricians could use an extra dolly to move whatever. And so when we asked moving companies, why don't you just deliver the dollies two weeks ahead of time so the users could pack directly to the dolly, they told us if we did, they'd be stolen. I wouldn't have a dolly left to move. And that was the insight for let's make our dolly bottomless can't be used to move anything but a tiger box hmm. and therefore it's unlikely to, to be stolen, stolen. Yeah. we were right wow okay and so because we recreated this bottomless dolly we were able to transform the entire move process so that instead of taping a box packing it and then lifting it out of the way because you know you need to pack another box in the same area right? By having the dolly on hand at the time of packing, you take an empty box, first put it in the dolly, pack that, flip the lid shut effortlessly, put another empty box, keep building your stack as you go along. So now by doing that, we were able to stack five high instead of 
the standard three high with cardboard because you never lift a box unless it's empty. Yeah. So now hmm. everybody who knows the smallest amount of math knows with 40% more contents per stack, you can reduce the cost of moving substantially because you have fewer stacks, elevator trips, truckloads, and labor to do a tiger box move. And so we got testimonial after testimonial on the average rate of savings was 30% of their move costs were reduced by a single change in the container that was used, going from cardboard to tiger. And so you see, although we came at it from our sustainability passion to promote reuse, it didn't matter which green it was. If you're the facilities manager and it's green in your wallet, that's good enough for me. <laughs> I like it. Green in your wallet's good too. Yeah. Well, because that's the only thing that motivated them. I could tell you for sure that if we were one of those sustainability companies that cost 10% more than yeah. the conventional, they we'd wouldn't. be dead in the water in 1991. Yeah, they wouldn't use And it. even in 2001, nobody cared. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a good point. Good point. So, so to me, the key of any business success is that what is the business opportunity that you can so com is so compelling that you will convert the incumbent because people hate to change. They hate change. And so it doesn't matter if it's easier, more convenient, um, more ergonomic. None of that matters. But if it saves money, that matters. So um, fast forward, we grew nicely across the country in the early 2000s. We got stuck with a crooked uh, distributor who uh, basically uh, stole our merchandise and looked to uh, sell it. Our, it was our rental fleet that was on consignment with them. They sold it to their customers to raise cash, and then they declared bankruptcy. So we were left with that half million dollar hole in our revenue. So, you know, everybody can do the math. You're a million and a half dollar company. A half a million dollars is a pretty big hole on the side of the bow. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. So it was always a little different, a little, a little less um, robust a model after something like that. Nonetheless, you know, we continued to carry on and we saw that one of the, one of the, um, flaws in our model was that you really didn't have a good um, basis on which you could proliferate equipment all over the country um, without selling it, right? If we, and our goal was to retain the rental model, retain, retain the recurring revenue stream, and um, keep track of our inventory. So to accomplish that, we looked at a lot of the typical systems everybody looks at for tracking assets, barcodes, da, da, da. Well, you know, I mean, the reason putting it out on a consignment basis didn't work very well is because you're relying on humans. What does a barcode rely on? Humans. Another human. Uh -huh. Well, so what the hell? I mean, you know, what is that? <laughs> Nothing. It's a non-starter. That's what that is. And so we looked around to see what the DOD was doing to maintain tracking their military assets. And we looked into active RFID battery-powered tags in order to do so. What we found, though, is that the cost of installation was very, very high, and all of that is predicated on a couple of things. One, it's a permanent installation. Mm -hmm. It requires site surveys. It requires a lot of training, and the entire cost is borne by a single user. That was in direct contradiction to our sustainability model, which is, there's a single owner for the asset. It gets reused and re-rented over and over again. And essentially, we were containers as a service before anything was a service back in 1991, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have a SaaS model to copy. We kind of created containers as a service. And so we wanted to replicate that model because we understood the power of reuse. And if I could say so as a sustainability um, thought, thought leader, Reuse is the equivalent of compound interest to a banker. It's a very, very powerful principle because in the course of 25 years of Tiger Box, 
the stats are, and they're verifiable, uh, the, we have saved our customers over hundreds of millions of dollars of reduced moving costs. We've eliminated well over a billion pounds of cardboard from clogging landfill, and we've saved over a hundred million trees from senseless destruction, all by virtue of reusing a simple box. Yeah. No, it's powerful. Yeah. It's I agree with you that it's compound interest on anything that's reusable. It's it's like the U-Haul <clears throat> model, right? Any kind right. of rental model. Any kind of rental model. And so when we saw the power of reuse, this is really what ignited our passion to create Tiger Tracks so that we could actually keep track of these reusable assets. Because you see, it's not just a box. That's only one of many items that could be reused over and over again. And with the right tracking mechanism, with the, with the ability to actually see the metrics as a dashboard in an instant, you can start to think, look around an office, look around an elder care facility. How much equipment is shared? Mm -hmm. How much equipment is purchased and underutilized? Yeah, Staggering. Or, or hoarded and stolen. <laughs> of course. Just the simple loss and theft yeah. is another point at which we can provide an, a, a, a viable solution. I'm going to guess, though, because we don't have the metrics yet, I'm going to guess that the loss and theft pales in comparison to the overspending and underutilization that that's true of that that i can right? i think i can say with confidence that's true yeah because what, I, what, I believe it to be what we do and what, i've had a lot of anecdotal verification yeah I'm i mean sorry. and no no the other anecdotal verification is at lab sensor solutions you know we we track the temperature and location of perishable medical supplies as well as other types of, you know, assets that are important. That was the predominant problem was underutilization of assets or hoarding or just not knowing where stuff is. So then, you know, as yeah. an example, like a, an infusion pump. So if you've ever gone to the hospital and you need a some sort of a infusion, they have these infusion pumps. They're everywhere. Um, they're decently complex they're expensive and for whatever reason <laughs> you always seem to be running out of them to use uh turns out yep. that nurses hoard them and will shoo them away in places so they know they have one uh, so the hospitals would buy so many of these things and you know you buy more assets it just costs more money and you have to repair them but that was a common problem well thank you for that validation because that is the anecdotally what we've heard from others and and so if what what the the vision that i have for tiger tracks is really to be the the global source of um tracking daily reuse in other words we our goal is to make reuse a habit if that's if that's what you put on my epitaph this girl's gonna be happy Taking a long slumber <laughs> because if, let's, let's because hope that doesn't happen for a while. <laughs> well, I'm not expecting it to happen. I've got too much work to do. So yeah, no, it's not happening now right. or soon right. at the same time though, that really, you know, so we talk about founders finding their purpose, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's just, how do I make it effortless to make reuse a habit? And, and then, Look at we could collectively kind of like assess what did we prevent the waste of natural resources, and it's not just the stuff that we cut down to make stuff in a supply chain process. What about all the downstream water pollution? What about the the effects of clear cutting and climate change and temperature? I mean, it's all we all know. It's a it's a holistic ecosystem. So that's. That's kind of the mission that I'm on. Everything and anything. So you can find what you need when you need it. Right. And literally get more bang from what you have. Right. Because if you know that those things are being hoarded and you've got a little electronic map of this 
four of these things in this closet and seven of these in this other closet. And these damn closets are 20 feet apart. Well, we know we don't need that much equipment in that. Right. So now we can manage the hoarding because we can make what is needed available when it's needed. Mm -hmm. It's not hidden in a hoarder's closet. And therefore, we can just stop buying more stuff. So that's um, I'm ranting a little bit. Let me get back on track. So <laughs> you're OK. That, Don't worry about it. This is really fascinating, said, by the way. I mean, I really like your vision of what you think your mission is. It's really cool. Oh, thank you, Jerry. That's I appreciate that. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, why I do what I do every day and why, um, you know, whatever the challenges are, they're just, you know, they're just opportunities dressed up in uh, work clothes. Um, there's a couple of things I've gotten from some of my colleagues who are somewhat more spiritual than I am. So that's good. It rubs off. Um, you know, look, I'm 70. So at this point, you know, I've seen a few things. I've seen a few things repeat. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The, the the first time I had the experience of it when I was thirty, it was urgent. It was <laughs> life and death. Right. It was right. And now at seventy, I can look at it and I could say, "Well, look, I have to acknowledge we're not curing cancer. We're right. tracking stuff. Right. We have a late delivery. Okay. Let's all, you know, take a chill pill and let's just figure out." How we're going to manage, what do we have to do to adjust to something that's being delivered late or whatever the unprepared thing is and just solve the problem and do it with grace and dignity mm-hmm. and avoid uh, pointing fingers or blaming anybody. Because it's all, all of that is a distraction yeah, from productive. actually solving the problem. Not productive. Yeah, I always say to the people I work with, it's like, well, if no one's shooting at us, then it'll be okay. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> you know, it's like something's late. You know what? The, the world has got a lot more problems than us being late on some deadline. So, you know, let's just exactly. do better. And, and, you know, the problems is a problem. I think that's the most important thing. It's not right. personal. We just got to solve problems. So, Precisely. And let's just see if we can just intentionally listen and avoid adding meaning to what somebody is saying. And then also as the person who's speaking, let's be sure we're speaking in a way that respects other people, right? Because oftentimes, as we all know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Oh, yeah. Because people remember how you make them feel, not what you said. Exactly. That's a great right. Great bit of wisdom so, right there. Right. That's that's kind of the leadership thing. And so, so there really is, very, uh, to me personally, there's merit in taking a deep breath. And making sure that we're responding rather than reacting to a situation to the best of our ability. Listen, I get triggered like everybody else. I told you I'm Latin. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, I'll remember that. (laughs) So anyway, so the vision for Tiger Tracks is to make reuse a habit so that and to really, you know, put it in a tool in people's hands so that they can find what they need when they need it. And so that all stakeholders, customers, as well as um, uh, anyone else in our ecosystem um, can really get more bang for what they already have. I mean, there's something fun about that, getting more bang for your buck, you know? Um, And I think particularly in these rather, um, I just want to say cloudy economic um, outlook. It's quite unclear. I think it's wonderful that there is uh, stimulus money out there. I think those stimulus is a little bit like feeding uh, pure glucose into a patient who's dying of malnutrition. <laughs> yeah, or or given you know given an espresso and a puppy to a five year old, <laughs> just like ah, and then yeah, there you go, and then it crashes. Right? <laughs> no, no, agreed. I mean, well, it's good, yeah. but not yeah, not a long term solution. I don't know that it is. I, I really would like to think that there's another, there's a year of runway 
to kind of try to get back to, you know, some alternative normal. Because I don't think there's ever the the old way of going back. And I'm I fully embrace an alternative normal. But what we don't know about is, you know, what are the profitability levels to the extent that we learn something about long-termism rather than short-termism? How are we going to use this alternate normal to look at long-term gains rather than short-term, you know, (laughs) glucose-propped returns? Because I just want to believe we have the capacity to use this as a lesson. The virus really put us together as one world. Yeah. If the person next to you, doesn't matter if they're rich or poor, yeah. educated or uneducated, if you're sick, you pass the virus on to them and they yeah. pass it on to somebody else, we're all one. Yeah, no. I mean, that was, I think, the only... Well, the the salient point of this whole experience for the first couple of months, maybe, um, and and that was a good thing. Uh, I think as time went on, the the real structural inequalities that have been perpetuated for like a long time, not only in race relations but also in economic activity and and just economic wealth, and and this this happens. I mean, the the tendency for all for for wealth in general is to is to actually pile up at the top it's just natural kind of the way the world works but you have to um as a society understand that's destabilizing and have to do something about it and over over history people have you know governments have done that and other places do it different ways it doesn't doesn't mean that making money is bad or making money or having wealth is bad it's just how you use that wealth and how society pictures that wealth and so you saw the this absolute, you know, amplification of what was already simmering Mm -hmm. is literally like, you know, let's turn the burner up to 12 and boil this thing over. (laughs) And that's what happened. Um, And I hope, I hope, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful as well that we'll learn from it because I think a lot of entrepreneurs like yourself uh, are trying to like, think of different ways to do things. And, and when everyone says, oh, we can't do that because this is the way we've always done it. This whole last, you know, eight, nine, ten weeks have proven that we could do something quickly <laughs> that's yeah. not the way we used to do it. So those arguments always kind of drive me insane. And and well, it's the reason why I'm an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm I'm like you. I'm right. I'm unemployable. I just I have to invent and I have to do my own thing. So um no, it's just great. I mean, this this whole tiger track, is it like so is it, it's ready now? Have you guys you guys are using it now? Yeah, it is. And so actually, and, and what's a little bit frustrating about, um, you know, the, the sudden change, right, is that, you know, it was, interestingly enough, it was actually a much slower um, penetration of the market than we had expected. So let me uh, kind of back up a little bit. You know, a lot of the companies we work with are moving companies right? Because they are the service provider to a lot of these end users who are moving. And I can't tell you how many times I heard movers complain about how much equipment they lose, how much it costs their bottom line, blah, 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 cry on my shoulder. And so here we come up with, I'm telling you, Jerry, I mean, it's kind of amazing and and annoying at the same time, a very cost-effective electronic tracking system that can track 24 seven and give them alerts when they're leaving stuff behind on a job site. And I want to tell you that on a long-term commitment, we proposed $2 a tag a month. Yeah. Do you know that's too much? Yeah. I, so, (laughs) so we had the same problem at lab sensor because essentially we do exactly the same thing that you guys do we track these valuable assets and 24 seven and the whole thing. And yeah, it's like still too expensive. <laughs> so, well, I, so out of curiosity, what were you asking for? Well, as a monthly so, rate? so for us, uh, typically the monthly rate, the, the, and these were containers that were reused for medical supplies. So you have to mm-hmm. realize that the value of the box is 
tremendous amount. And if you lose it, it's worse than losing a, a client's you know, box of files. It's like someone's blood sample. So our typical yeah. rate per month per box was like 15 to $19 per month. That's fine to me. I mean, like, yeah. what would you protect it? Yeah, but they didn't think of it that way. Well, so it's interesting because we had the same kind of thing. And it's it's just a different market, but the same uh, same basic arguments. One, it, it didn't rise to the level of so much loss that it would like impact their bottom line, which you would think is a little nebulous. But the way clinical labs are get money and the way they get reimbursed is does not um, penalize them for losing things. So first, first, first thing, right? Second thing is that the, the regulations were not exactly there yet. There, there were regulations to make sure that things were kept at the right temperature and delivered at the right time, but they were kind of voluntary or best practice. They weren't like auditable, right? Like right. some some things, like if you had a refrigerator in a lab that was stationary, that had to have, you know, constant monitoring. I mean, and so there was all of these things that are kind of compounded on it, but, you know, we had the same thing. It's like, you mean- Essentially, you don't care, which is, I think, a harsh way to say it, but it didn't rise to the level of a care or a need that just was a compelling business problem. They had other business problems. And so it sounds like it's similar. Like we we also had uh, another kind of customers in the food space. So like fresh food caterers that wanted to measure the temperature and location of their stuff to make sure it wouldn't you know, it wasn't bad, right? Like bad food is a bad yeah. deal, but like contaminated food that needs a recall for a million bucks and a lot of uh, PR embarrassment. Right. Yeah. yeah that and, kind. And, but the, 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 the level of that pain was so was, wasn't in like the top three or the top five things they were working on. So it just never went. And they're like, Oh, this is great. This is quote unquote, nice to have, which is very hard business to be in when it's a nice to have. And, so what what we still have this struggle, right? I mean, it's just it's it's a constant thing to try to like, you know, validate and justify the cost of a system that you would think just no brainer if you want to reuse, be efficient, make sure people are safe. I mean, there's like all sorts of benefits, but again, the pain wasn't great enough. And I think what was interesting, what's interesting about what happened with COVID-19, what is happening is some of those things that were like simmering that weren't really mm-hmm. pains are now like catastrophic. So great example of this is uh, if you're a retail store and you don't have an ability for people to order online and pick up, you're out of business. <laughs> That's right. Full stop, right? Yep. So now all of a sudden right. it's like, it's important that you have an online store. Whereas before you're like, oh, I don't need delivery. People just browse, but not now. So I I feel strongly that the world will catch up. <laughs> um, That's what I always and, look for. Yeah. And it, it'll catch up to our vision. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's a, it's a hard thing because you know, in your heart, it's the right thing to do. You know that the economics of it will work out. You know that right. just quality in general and overall experience and where things are and just like the general health and wellness of things. And for our case, it was like blood tubes or urine or drugs. I mean, all these things were just, they're important. But again, like when they're not a main business driver, they sort of don't bubble up to the top until something catastrophic happens. I mean- and in, in some of the customers that we have, what happened was something catastrophic happened and they're like, we need to do something about this or we're going to lose the business. So I think, right. I think you just got to keep, <laughs> keep plugging away like we're doing. Keep we're doing on this. keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Well, you know, sleep cures a lot of things. So I can wake up a lot more renewed tomorrow morning than I feel right about now. Mm-hmm. But so but let, let me take a follow on to that, you know, because- it is true. So it seems like we definitely both had the same situation in terms of when you have a chronic pain, not an acute pain, like a backache, nobody does a thing about their backache until they can't walk. Right. That's your catastrophic event. Right. And so what I'm taking a look at is the catastrophic event being COVID 
what can I do to adapt our tracking technology, which currently keeps track of assets and their whereabouts and blah, blah, blah. Why can't I add tracking a process? Mm -hmm. Did I do something like sanitize a ventilator Mm -hmm. or sanitize an office chair Mm -hmm. or sanitize a wheelchair that my aunt is going to sit in at a, was that as she gets rolled into Delta's, uh, you know, waiting area, right. You know, boarding area. Right. And so, because I do think, um, my instincts tell me that people are going to be far more sensitive to health, wellness, sanitation, all of those things kind of get lumped into one and that there could be some real benefit to organizations if they can actually digitize the processes they currently engage in now at an operational level. Because I've asked, I mean, I did, I think that um, sanitizing shared equipment, let's say just in an elder care facility, you have a vulnerable population. A lot of these elder care facilities have already gotten a black eye. Oh yeah. And pretty much like the banks in 2008, it doesn't matter if you're a good bank or you're a bad bank, you're a piece of shit bank because you're a bank. Yep. Yep. Same with hedge fund managers and venture capitalists. (laughs) Exactly. Same with them too, right? So, and I think elder care facilities may be looking for damage control. Even if they don't have the problem, how would you feel if you're, you know, in a situation where you have to private pay for elder care, which is frequent, right? Everyone's going to have to deal with it. Yeah. And there are two facilities that are fairly comparable. However, one has a digitized process for not only checking out all the operational procedures, they also check and make sure that their equipment is sanitized. And if it's shared and they're bringing so-and-so out in a wheelchair to have a visit with their family, you as the family member could actually take your smartphone with um, NFC technology. You can touch the back of that chair. And if it turns green, you know that you're loved one is sitting in a chair that was sanitized right before they used it. Yeah. No, I, I think you're How, totally right. I think you're right. Well, thank you. So, so I'm actually doing some um, outreach to kind of understand what elder care facilities are currently doing and what would compel them to move away from the Oh, we have great operations. My so-and-so has been with us for 20 years and they, they're they the best manager and I know everybody who is reporting to them is doing their job the right way. Like, yep. Nope. <laughs> you know, like my Aunt Tilly knows. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you don't know squat. Well, I mean, we- <laughs> But I, know, can, I can verify them. No, I'll just say that. I mean, like- the greatest example that I've ever seen of this was when we when we were you know for, with Lab Sensor, and so what we would do is we would do trials with customers, and the basic trial is we're going to monitor the temperature and location of the igloo cooler, which it literally was an igloo cooler filled with blood tubes, and we're going to tell you the temperature of this box, which should be between this range, you know, if it's refrigerated, it should be between you know. 2C and 8C. I mean, it's really narrow band. And because if it's not, the result's probably going to be wrong because if it gets too hot, there's a chemical reaction, the whole thing, right? And so we would go in and say, look, we can guarantee that you're out of compliance. Absolutely. Even if you've got whatever you were doing before, you know, meat thermometers and writing it down in a log, I guarantee you it's wrong. I can almost guarantee you. And so we would do this and then we would just have the, the, the couriers, you know, with the app and everything. And what we found was that, yeah, 80% of the time they're out of compliance, no doubt. And it's not because they don't want to be in compliance. It's because they don't know. They just absolutely don't. Right. It's hard to tell what's the, the, right. the temperature, right? So then we said, hey, just right. look at this app and by yourself, you know what to do, correct it. And within three or four days, they would be able to be within compliance 90 to 95% of the time because they saw, oh, put more ice in. And that was it. And that even right. is not compelling enough for people to adopt this you know, expensive technology. But I think you're right. And the reason I think you're right is because if you understand 
the way the world is going to open up again. And, and even some of the things they're doing in Asia, which they did with SARS and which they did in the Middle East with MERS, where compliance to a protocol is really important. So, And it's going to impact people's bottom line. So even in a hospital, which right. you would think is the most compliant thing ever, when, when my wife Jane had leukemia and was in the hospital and she had no immune system, she was immunocompromised, there's this whole protocol of what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to wash their hands, supposed to put bibs on, masks, the whole thing. But it's human-directed, right? Which I can tell you just from firsthand experience, half the time people didn't do it. Just didn't. And 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 she's like immunocompromised. You're not supposed to go in without this the PPE. But they would just forget or they wouldn't do it. So I can say that as regulations get more stringent, and you can see this a little bit in high-end grocery stores. So if you go to Whole Foods, as an example, pretty much each refrigerator on Whole Foods has got this digital display of its, of its temperature. And if you go look at the, um, all the, the workers, they've got these laser thermometers where they're like taking right. the temperature of these things and they're writing them down. Well, why do you think they're doing that? And like maybe Safeway or, you know, Lucky is not. Well, eventually the high-end folks have got, they're thinking, right? They're like, well, our reputation matters that we don't get people sick. <laughs> so right. I think, I do think you're onto something and I, I hope you keep pursuing it because it's. I I certainly intend to, because I do, I, I have a sense that it may take a little um, uh, more effort to, to, to crack it. So one of the things that um, I'm re, re, uh, revamping is my approach, right? Rather than um, after I get a little intake, like how they do things now, right? Because otherwise you have nothing to compare it to, what kind of process improvement you might or might not be able to offer. Rather than go straight to the process improvement piece, I would, I would kind of backpedal that and just say, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're just we, – we, we're wondering if you would help us out and conduct a small pilot. It won't be much of an interference in your day-to-day -day operations. But what we're looking to do is see if there's value in digitizing, digitizing a process that then would reduce the time you spend managing and increase the accuracy of record keeping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If that would be enough, let's just take three days and run a very, very discreet small pilot. Because mm -hmm. in three days, we can get the information oh, we need. Oh, yeah. You'd know, right? you'd know within a day <laughs> how screwed up course. it is. <laughs> of course. Well, you and I know that. <laughs> for sure. For sure. You know, and then in exchange, you know, whatever little sweet spot, you know, some kind of uh, early adopter incentive on if this really is exciting for you or whatever. You know, another way to do it is to and we could take this offline because I'd be curious to know how you got your, your initial customers. Sure. Because um, right now I already made the investment in the technology. But as you expand these things and I have to buy more technology yeah. and get deeper into a hole for it, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not going to work so well. No. Right. Because right. And uh, I want to conserve all the cash we have to keep our operations focused on, on we still have boxes for rent. Yes. We still have some tags to uh, to, to put on stuff. Yep. But I want to avoid increasing, uh, you know, overhead to buy more tags at this point. In time. Right. I want to manage the expansion. So, yeah. so with that, yeah, I guess in summary, you know, our goal is to make reuse a habit, to uh, provide containers that that help make the move process effortless. And to provide tracking equipment that keeps track of everything that's on the move and is constantly in motion. So, you know, we're kind of always in this kinetic energy world, um, you know, whether it's a moving an office or keeping track of an asset that's moving. Yeah. No. I mean, that's. Yeah, you know, and yeah, then it's a great... how can we leverage it to, make, to create a public benefit that we hadn't anticipated before these circumstances of COVID presented themselves. And I appreciate the opportunity to revisit the value of our technology and see how we can include um, more features within it to 
provide a greater public good than we had before. So yeah, that's, that's a noble goal and a great why to have. And, uh, I really appreciate uh, Nadine, your time. It's just been such a fascinating conversation and, uh, it's been great. It's great. Well, it's actually great that we kind of sort of in the same business <laughs> that we could talk more yeah, about. No. It's pretty cool. Oh yes. That's why I say an offline conversation has got to be had for sure. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. You got it. Ciao. Thanks for your time too. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Make summer memories in Hampton. Visit the Virginia Air and Space Science Center. Discover 400 years of history at Fort Monroe and explore our wide open beaches. Purchase your Sea to Stars ticket and plan your trip today at visithampton.com. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.